and welcome to Cheki, a podcast about understanding governance and what it should do for us, the people. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Cheki with me. I'm Shiko. And I'm Mark. So in this episode, we have a guest as promised, and we are going to be discussing the Data Protection Act. It probably sounds uh, like something very big, something very IT-ish. I don't know. I'm not uh, a computer guru. Mark is. <laughs> <laughs> For once, you've complimented something about me. Oh, yeah. I, this, yeah, it's an interesting yeah so for this episode personally i'm just going to be asking as many questions as mark always asks um and today we have a guest his name is mugambi and mugambi is going to be answering our questions on what is the data protection act how can we as citizens take advantage of it to make sure nobody breaches the information that we share and even us as users don't breach the laws through the use of data. So before we start talking about the Data Protection Act and uh, in depth, I'll just give a bit of context on why we chose this topic. So the reason data protection is important is because for example, things like NTSA. Yeah. I mean, you if somebody goes to the NTSA portal and checks Mark's car license plate, they'll find your info. Yeah, that's. I was actually, I was actually always wondering how they used to. They have, they used to have a segment on citizen number. They would take a someone who was overlapping. They would mm-hmm. take their number plate and then they show their names and everything. And I was like, that felt a bit invasive. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sharing people's info like uh, your flight details or insurance companies, how they can contact you know your other contacts to tell them about defaulting on a loan. Like we need to know is this allowed? And even you as a person, if you share someone's information, like for example, I know there was a time there's a certain blogger who shared hospital records of a celebrity. Is that breach of information? Is that right? I mean, as much as people are, you know, enjoying the gossip, which is happening a lot now, but people's privacy is being invaded at the same time. So is this breach of the data laws? And how can we avoid being caught on the wrong side of the law? So let me introduce our guests. Mugambi, karibu sana. Asante. Yes, so Mugambi is a lawyer and he also has his own podcast, which I would encourage all of you to also listen to. Mugambi, tell us a bit about yourself and your podcast before we start talking about um, the topic of today. Ah, all right. Um, okay, thank you. Uh, thank you very much uh, for inviting me to your, uh, to your podcast and to discuss um, uh, this very key and controversial issue to do with privacy and data protection. Um, so as I said, my, uh, I don't know if I said it, my name is Mugambi Laibuta. Uh, I'm a lawyer. Um, I also run a, web, uh, a blog, uh, com, where I discuss issues of uh, technology and the laws of privacy, um, cyber security, issues to do with uh, revenge pornography, cyber bullying, cyber, um, cyber harassment. Um, and I also have a podcast which is called Olelo Podcast. It's a fairly uh, young uh, podcast, uh, barely um, a month old. Wow. And also discussing similar issues to do with um, I mean, technology and the law. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Um, we also, you know, we did a, a podcast episode in season one on cybercrime, which is very interesting. And we touched just very lightly on like that issue of 
pornography especially with children and now that they're at home and access to internet and chat rooms or games and such and sending like a, I remember we mentioned Lonyanga pose nudes Mark was surprised but you know those are the things people don't think about as breaking the law you get yeah yeah so uh so as we start on this discussion why don't you tell us what exactly is um the data protection act about all right um all right so simply put uh, our constitution article 31 provides uh, provides for the right to privacy and uh, since we have the right to privacy um, under article 31 it has uh, certain conditions uh, for example the right to privacy means that uh, somebody can just enter your house uh, search your property uh, without a legal reason seize your property or uh, disclose issues or information facts relating to your family your private affairs uh, unnecessary, unnecessarily Mm-hmm. Also, the provision uh, protects uh, the privacy of our communications. So, just from this Article 31, uh, there was now uh, the, the Data Protection Act was enacted in November 2019. Okay. But data protection has been a discussion even before the current constitution. Yeah. But the Data Protection Act is is a reflection of implementation of. Article bringing article 31 on the right to privacy to, to, to make it alive yeah, yeah. okay um so then I, I guess we can move into now some of the questions um mark and i may have in regards to the data protection sure yes. um yeah i know that uh for things that are going to affect the public there has to be public participation right yes so for something like data protection is it something that required uh, the public participation, number one? And number two, do you think um, we as the general public have a good understanding of what data protection really is, especially in the context of the law? Um, all right. Um, okay, so so you see, um, one, on the issue of whether people have a good perception uh, about or an understanding of data protection, it's quite low. Actually, um, I would ask the listeners to look. Mzalendo, Mzalendo, which you can check on Twitter. Mzalendo did a survey on the public perceptions on um, uh, the Data Protection Act. And uh, what that um, research or survey revealed is that there's very little knowledge of uh, data protection and uh, privacy uh, in Kenya. Um, but what we need to realize is that the Data Protection Act took almost more than 11 years to be enacted. It started being discussed way back, so I think around 2009. Wow. Um, and, and even after the Constitution came mm-hmm. into place, it was, I mean, you see, since the Constitution came into place, it was almost nine, nine or ten years um, until now. Yeah. Uh, the Data Protection Act uh, was passed. So there have been many data protection bills that have mm. been discussed. There's been a lot of controversy on it. Uh, but I think it's one of the bills that has has had a lot of engagement through different stakeholders for almost a decade. Yeah. Uh, so that just tells you this is an issue that uh, really there's a lot of interest and there's lack of uh, commitment to ensure that uh, privacy is really protected through legislation. 
Is it? That's interesting because the second question I was going to ask is how well are, you know, the laws enforced now that we have the act already? Um, for starters, uh, we don't have a data protection commissioner. Is it? Uh, there's, been, there's been, yes, there's been a failed uh, recruitment process. So the, early this year, the Public Service Commission advertised for the position of data commissioner. Oh, no. It was advertised, but it went to court. So it was challenged in court. Um, so some people brought up some legalities that uh-huh. some procedures were followed. So the position was advertised again, I think, this week. Okay. Um, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But the fact that it's been it's almost nine months mm-hmm. uh, we've had this act and you know the data commissioner is very key especially in supervising adherence to provisions of uh, article 31 of the constitution and the data protection act um it just shows even by the time this person is recruited and the office is established it will take perhaps another it will be almost a year since the act came into place yeah. when the, this person now uh, starts operating I mean, uh, I'm not entirely surprised because even the Office of the Auditor General has been left open for such a long time. Um, I feel sometimes the government doesn't have goodwill in certain um, offices. So I'm, I'm surprised, but not entirely, that that office has been vacant for that long. I, th- I think I have a question yeah. with regards to that. So, uh, Mugambi, my question would be, so this, you said this... Um, process began in like 2009 and for a couple of reasons it's not been it's not been able to come to complete fruition right so like to get a, an actual data protection law right so i think the question i have is what what do you think is in your opinion at stake in the, from the bigger perspective like what would be the motivation behind these kinds of things happening, like even the, the fact that there, there's controversy with the, the position of the data commissioner. And what's at stake really, if you, from your perspective in terms of what's, your, what's at stake with data protection, that it becomes such an issue that there's all these, uh, what I would say, invisible forces that are causing... The, the challenge is both uh, political, economic. Uh, one, you know, okay. these data protection bills were first championed by civil society. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, in most cases where civil society proposes legislation, the automatic reaction by the state is to say no. Um, But even now, when the constitution came into place and still the data protection bill was being pushed, there are several interests around this. For example, if you realize that um, data is a very precious commodity. Yes. Uh, Data can easily be used for commercial purposes, Mm. Um, for research purposes, for political purposes. So people whose business model is uh, is anchored on the unfettered or unrestricted access to people's data without any sort of accountability, mm-hmm. of course, they, they, they will not be happy uh, to have their business model stopped in its track by, by, a, by a piece of legislation that now says yeah. that uh, data subjects have certain rights and mm-hmm. if you are to mine data, if you are to mine personal data, uh, you have to abide by certain basic legal principles. So, so definitely, they 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 they'll be a, they they'll reject that, mm. um, and for that reason, certain. And you see also in, in politics and the state, the state collects a lot of data. Yeah. The, the, 
state of course will not wish um, to be accountable in any way or to face any hurdles <laughs> when collecting people's data when carrying out any sort uh, any form of surveillance because you also know even in campaigns yeah. uh, in campaigns is on you you receive uh, you start receiving messages yeah. from, uh, from from people who are vying within your area and you wonder how, how do they do get my number no so it means that I was, I was little. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, yeah. when, when you say something like that, then it means, um, was the collection of data during the Huduman number exercise regulated? Is our data out there free for anyone to access it now? You know, d- during um, the Huduman number process, the, the, the unfortunate thing, okay, let, let me start with the Huduman number. I believe that the Huduman number is a very good concept in yes. this fashion. It is important for the government or the state yeah. uh, to have certain accurate data about the citizens because, of course, this assists in planning, yeah. Yeah. Um, assists in security, yeah. assists in uh, reacting to, let's say, disaster. Yes, you like know, now with well, the pandemic. That is very important for planning. But yeah. unfortunately, when the Huduma number was conceptualized, one, there was no policy, mm-hmm. there was no law and regulation relating to Huduma number. It was just like somebody said, let's do Huduma number and they started. But you see, for, for, such, for such a public process, you can't do that. You know, it's not like as we say, but then you guys see, we go to lunch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so this was a process that yeah. uh, needed public resources uh, that was uh, being uh, the, the public information is being yeah. harvested. It is so what, what the government should have done at first is come up with a policy, or a very clear policy on Huduma number, mm. create a law, yeah. a Huduma number law, and then create, have regulation. So that when you're coming to register people for Huduma number, it's very clear what Huduma number is uh, all about, yeah. what kind of information are they collecting, mm-hmm. who is responsible for that data, uh, what kind of security protocols are there, who can the government share this data with, who should not have access to this data. But so because of this, some people went actually went to court, and the court said that uh, fine, Huduma number. The, the government can implement Huduma number, but not until the Data Protection Act, the Is Data Protection Bill becomes law. Yes. So you yes. see, it was. I mean, it's like the, the government started constructing the house from the roof. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's um, also the Huduma Bill, right? Yes. Okay. Anyway, that's uh, if we. I think if we go into the Huduma Bill, we'll be here for a very long time. So I'm guessing we can yeah. invite you again so we can discuss the Huduma Bill as well. Because you know, I mean, you're on Twitter and so am I, and you see how people make fun of those guys who went to uh, up country to avoid the queues here to get a Huduma number. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we can discuss the Huduma the Huduma Bill on oh. its own, yeah. Yeah, so another question I'd ask is now uh, we have a lot of um, institutions and data collectors in the country. I mean, we have the telecommunications operators, we have guys who um, do mobile lending. Is it breach of um, the data laws, for example, I won't mention the name of the mobile lender, but there's one specifically that once you default on your loan, let's say by a month or two, they start um contacting people on your contact list and they start telling them mugambi akona deni 
na hajalipa please tell him to pay Atangamke. up <laughs> so is that a breach if they do that with me can i sue them um you, you see the unfortunate thing is like uh, like these mobile lenders if yeah. you read their terms and conditions mm-hmm. they, they, they usually they usually say they'll have access to your um, they'll have access to your phone book they'll oh have access goodness. to your location um, so when the unfortunate thing is that when people are uh, taking these loans they they sort of a need they in a desperate situation mm. they need some funds to deal with an issue that it's an emergency so people hardly take time and read the terms and conditions now until now when now you you get you are being told that people are being called to say that you've not paid it then, ah, mm. then you start asking why how then you realize that uh, the terms and conditions that you agreed to have some of these aspects but unfortunately now um or fortunate or unfortunate the central bank yeah and treasury have realized that this is a big issue mm. the, the, the mobile lending industry is unregulated mm. Hence, so there, there, there are certain proposals legislative proposals that have been made yeah uh, to regulate uh, to regulate uh, mobile or digital uh, lending platforms yeah and of course since now we have a data protection act yeah. these are some of the issues that now need to be covered because you see for you to get somebody's data one of the principles within the data protection act is somebody must consent you see yeah, i must consent that you, you may contact uh, so and so and so and so in terms that in, when i default mm. but you really can't just have access to my phone book then contact these people and it's something i did not consent to mm. and um, the data protection act was it's about informed consents full disclosure just tell people fine we'll give you this loan but this is this is the kind of information we'll access from your phone yeah uh, we'll get into your phone book and we'll be able to call people in terms do you agree or not if you say yes fine they do that if you say no then there should be other modalities to know how to go about it yeah okay it should be more clear uh, in the big in the beginning yeah. so that it should just be like maybe the first thing that, that yeah so that you know if you want to borrow from them or not in, instead of like a, a long document and it's somewhere within the fine print because yeah yeah like mugambi said you're in a you're in a desperate situation you, you're not going to sit there and start reading mm, the terms and conditions the, the condition. so yeah it's, it's it could be i think is it something that also the the data protection law would protect maybe i ask i mean maybe talk about in terms of the regulation of the mobile lenders to be like you cannot use this means to ensure you get the loan back no no, no. as i said um, central bank and treasury generally um, have draft have, have crafted a draft law uh, to regulate all of the digital lending platforms yeah um, but with that The, the, the proposals also of course have to bear in mind that we have a data protection uh, act mm. and the kind of data that these lenders need to collect yeah. they need to inform the, the 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 borrowers from the beginning and the borrowers have to expressly consent to that data uh, being let's say being harvested or being collected by uh, by this mobile lending company so so that if i consent for if, if i'm taking a loan let's say i'm taking 10000 shillings from one of these platforms and one of the condition is that they will have access to my phone book and they'll be able to call uh, certain 
my contacts without my notice and I say yes and I take the 10,000 then quote unquote have sort of uh, consented yeah. uh, but where they do not disclose this well in advance then you see we can't say that the fact I took the 10,000 have already consented yeah. because it is not free and it is not prior and it is not informed consent okay um another question i'd have on that i have two so the first one is on one of the things i touched on in, in the beginning like ntsa has my information of course because i have an ntsa identity for my you know my license plate so it means that if um somebody can check my plates on the ntsa portal they'll find my details and they can share it let's say on instagram or twitter and say like if i have a really nice car let's say i have a porsche panamera and someone checks my plates at owner it belongs to eva then they'll be posting it everywhere and for me that will be an invasion of my privacy am i allowed to sue ntsa or the person who shared how does that work the second question is when you go to a restaurant and you pay via mpesa Sometimes they will send you a message later on carrying out a survey, but I didn't consent to them using my number for a survey. Is that a breach? Okay, uh, let me start with the first one. We need to note that uh, there's certain information that should be public information. Mm. Um, for, for example, uh, ownership of a motor vehicle, uh, ownership of uh, property or land, that's where you can go to the land registry mm. um, on a certain piece of property, uh, you pay some amount and you fill in a form and you are given information about that piece of property mm. who owns it for what period it is it is yeah also in the company in the company's registry uh, the ownership of companies as per law is public information okay but there's certain information that of course within the company's registry you wouldn't get like for example where where do the directors of the companies live mm. that information the, the business registry has it, but they won't give it to you. Yeah. Now on on NTSA, I think the challenge there is the kind. You know, one of the principles of um, data protection within the Act mm. is data minimization. Mm. That you collect data that is only relevant, or you disclose data that is only relevant for a specific purpose. Okay. In my view, um, in relation to NTSA, definitely the ownership of a vehicle should be a public should be public information mm-hmm. but you know the kind of information that you extract from ntsa it's so much yeah so 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 perhaps uh, and maybe perhaps ntsa is thinking about this because now we have the day because that system was before the data protection act mm. so perhaps now ntsa is looking at a way in which now they can comply with the data protection act and ensure that the information that is available to the public is only the essential information for example maybe the, the name of the owner of the motor vehicle mm-hmm. uh, and their postal address or their email, all right? Yeah. But definitely the, the name of the owner should be public info, should be public uh, knowledge. Now, on that, when you pay to you, you pay via MPESA in an establishment, then I think that they start chasing you around for a survey, they're advertising this and that. This is wrong because you see when you are... Um, when 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 you are paying because um the under the data protection act another principle that we that we have mm. is the legal basis for collection of the of the data mm. you see data should be collected for a certain um, for a certain purpose yeah. uh, the lawfulness and fair now when you are paying 
you are not consenting mm-hmm. to that data being used for any other purpose apart from to confirm that yes. you are paid by Mpesa. Yes. That's the end of that transaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, when this when when, when these uh, companies or establishment now start using that data, the, your your phone number to advertise to you and all this that, that is that is a direct contravention of the data protection act because yeah. it is not for the purpose with which you gave your phone number became available yeah because i mean these people will send you sms's upon sms's sometimes even emails i'm like i didn't reply to sms why are you emailing me you think uh-huh. it's done i'm going to answer <laughs> yeah but anyway i think those are interesting ways to understand um the the data laws and do you think right now there are certain maybe loopholes in the protection acts that controllers can take advantage of of course that now there's no data commissioner they'll take advantage of that the act also provides that uh, the data commissioner will uh, promote self-regulation mm-hmm. and you know what self-regulation means if, if, if we look at uh, environmental protection where sometime environmental protection agencies now say people can self-regulate you see that people just start polluting and doing whatever they yeah. want to the, uh, the environment so that definitely uh, is a challenge and also um, the, the the fact that i the data commissioner that office you know data commission uh, data protection authorities around the world face uh, similar challenges mm-hmm. one is the issue of funding whether they'll be properly funded mm-hmm. we've seen uh, we've seen in kenya even uh, uh, the judiciary for example they are their, their budget being cut or let's say a, a commission like uh, Kenya National Commission on Human Rights is not properly funded yeah. so so you, you find that uh, institutions that are provi- provide the uh, oversight usually have these challenges then of course um, the, the fact that um, <laughs> whether the people will be hired by the commission will be, in a, will be sufficient to deal, you know, you can imagine how many data um, data controllers uh, uh, or data processors that are there in Kenya, especially big ones. Mm. You mentioned uh, telecommunication, we have academic, we have uh, religious organizations and mm. all this. So, will we really be in a position to to, um, to regulate all this? Yeah. Um, then, um, I think another loophole is that uh, you know before you execute any project uh, any project where uh, data processing is concerned you have to undertake a data protection impact assessment mm. but now will it be possible will it, will it be humanly possible for the data commissioner to police around and see whether all these data controllers and data processors have done the correct uh, data protection impact um, assessments mm. Then of course there's uh, how Kenyans and the, the kind of understanding by Kenyans of uh, of this law. There, there really has not been enough um, uh, pub, uh, public education on what uh, privacy and data protection is uh, is all about. Because I'm sure you've had a lot of people say, "I have nothing to hide." They can have as much data about me <laughs> as possible. <laughs> um, and you see, that's the wrong thinking because yeah. of course now. We have what we call surveillance capitalism, where they are now unscrupulous people who come around, collect data, monetize it, and sell it to whoever, to the highest bidder. Mm. Um, so, so there are these kind of challenges. Um, 
and uh, I I really hope that whoever becomes the data commissioner will be able to to overcome them. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to undertake proper civic education. Yeah, and that's so important. Com- the data commissioner also has um, has the power to create registers, where to register large uh, data com- uh, data uh, data controllers and data processors. Mm-hmm. So also, you realize the economic and political muscle of some of these data processors and controllers is huge. Yes. So will we'll, uh, <laughs> will the data commissioner? Uh, be bold enough to mm-hmm. stand and tell these uh, these institutions that hey, you know, we have Article 31, we have the Data Protection Act, please comply. And also, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, all data processors and data controllers have to understand that data protection is not only uh, is is not only uh, vital for the data subject. It's also vital for them because, and I've written this on my blog. Any data controller or data processor that does not take care or does not have very clear data protection policies, you find that even them themselves they they became they become victims of like uh, uh, espionage, economic espionage, mm-hmm. financial espionage, yeah. where employees take uh, very key trade uh, trade information, trade secret, and they sell it out there. Yeah. But if they keep if they keep in place measures to ensure about data protection for for data subjects they deal with, mm-hmm. even in house, they will be able to ensure that there there are certain key protocols on protection and safety of their of their of their data. Okay, thank you so much for that, Mugami. One last question as we finish uh, from me. I don't know if Mark has any other questions. Mine is a more sort of personal question. So, yes. if for example, I've gone, let's say. Uh, I've gone to the salon, I paid by Mpesa. Then um, the receptionist was a guy and he decides to call me later on at night. <laughs> Can I like take legal action based on this act? If somebody takes my number somewhere and decides to start calling or texting me. You see, definitely that is a breach of, um, a breach of uh, privacy. So there, there, there are certain options. So we can say, let's say, that salon is, uh, let's say, a data controller or a data processor because it's collecting data about its customers, mm-hmm. etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So this individual has unlawfully accessed and used data from a data controller or a data processor, mm-hmm. which is a which is an offence under the under the Data Protection Act. Yeah. So the Data Protection Act can come um, can come into play. Okay. But also, mm. also you could sue this individual depending on the effect this has. Mm-hmm. Um, you could sue the individual, for example, for cyber. I mean, this person could be charged for other offenses like cyber, cyber harassment. If this person is just continue calling you, harassing you, mm. um, so the, the, there's also that. Uh, there's also that possibility. Yeah. But any individual out there who gets information from a data controller and data processor and uses that data unlawfully without the lawful authority of the data controller of the data processor, mm. then that part, that person uh, commits an offense within the Data Protection Act. Okay, thank you for that. Mark is laughing. I don't I don't think anybody usually tries to take Mark's number. Maybe <laughs> no. Mark is a boring guy. I don't know. I can't imagine... <laughs> Dissing me for having my data very protected because no, nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody wants nobody your wants data. data, yeah. No one wants your data, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mugambi. We really appreciate your insight. Um, 
I'm, I mean, I thought I knew what data protection was, but I clearly, a lot of things um, were outside of my grasp. But thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you as well from uh, my end. Thank you for inviting me to check your podcast. No problem. And again, I'll invite listeners to go over to Ole's podcast. What uh, platforms is your podcast available on? Uh, it's on Anchor. Anchor. It's on uh, Google. Um, it's called Google Pod. It's on Google uh, Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's uh, it's also on uh, Spotify. It's on Overcast. Um, it's on Apple. Uh, so all these podcasts you, you may find the Olelo podcast. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. And that's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. This has been Cheki with Shiko and Mark. Follow us on our Twitter page at Cheki Podcast and engage us and join us next week for another episode.